la la. Wasn't that a Seinfeld episode? It was. Uh, <laughs> how are you tonight? Oh, you know, living, loving, Excellent. experimenting. Excellent. Just, oh, we just... have a Barry bot. Hello. Hi, that everyone. Was that was that timing couldn't have been more been perfect. Perfect. <laughs> Good evening. Welcome to episode. You know, it's episode thirty-two already. Right. That blows my mind. Of lawfully chaotic. Thank you for joining us. Uh, tonight, um, Barry Bot is going to lead us in a discussion about how to become a first-time DM or how to improve your DM skills if you already are one. Um, before we start that, uh, does anybody have any announcements? Jason? Well, it's official. Table number 10 is posted. Um, and uh, I've already got one person signed up. I've made some modifications to the timing of it. Um, so that uh, Divergence campaign is going to kick off with that table, and it will eventually replace all my other four tables that are soon to expire, including the one that uh, Miss Barrybot is on as well. Um, we will discuss that framework with the group. Um, they've already seen the summary, I think. I posted the summary of it. Um, so it's going to be dark. It's going to be rough. It's going to be... It, it's... It's as close as you can get to Greyhawk without it being stupid like Greyhawk. So nice. I'm, I'm, I'm super excited about low magic, you know, you know, super high fantasy with the mm -hmm. spell jammer theme tucked in there as well to have a lot of fun with that. So, awesome. That yeah, sounds yeah. like a blast. Yeah, Very it's gonna cool. Be, and it's going to be a whole new framework of campaign <clears throat> that's kicking off with my 10th table. That is each of my other tables deprecate. Um, and wrap up, which they're all coming up on their little over a year mark. Because I, in our topic, when Barry Bot, you know, hits our topic today, I, I will talk about how long a campaign should be based on your seasoning within being the DMGM space. Because I think that I've learned some valuable lessons about that recently. So, awesome, cool. I'm super excited about this new framework. I get to play with Spelljammer. Um, I get to play with the prehistory of all of the lands of Exandria. It's all just like, it's just like, oh, it's a sandbox this time. And I think it's going to be, we may even establish gods for the first time. Ooh, can I be one? <laughs> <laughs> awesome. That sounds fantastic. I can't wait to hear more about that. Sharon, how are you tonight? Hi, I'm doing good. I kind of <laughs> had to do like a mad dash from work today. So sorry, everyone. For no, the no worries. No worries. Uh, uh, any announcements uh, that you have? I'm What's going to just... happen to Mira when when Grang Lands ends? She going to tree walk into another campaign? Well, she's certainly <laughs> going to try to survive. That's for sure. Uh, yeah, she's going to try not to have the world end so abruptly, and <laughs> you know, just prancing in fields at the end. That's that's the goal. <laughs> awesome. What could be better than that? that that's yeah. everybody's. That's everybody's epilogue. Sweet. Cool. Um, I, uh, so this Saturday I am running a one shot for a bachelor party. Ooh. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I have, I have pulled a piece of my homebrew campaign out and expanded upon the story arc. Um, and it's been really, really awesome because, um, I think as I've told you guys, I'm writing this homebrew. I have the overall story uh, arc um, in my head, but I'm writing it as I go. So I'm using cool. That's excuse fun. me. 
Yeah, I'm using two groups to kind of play test it. Um, and uh, so for Saturday, I've pulled this chunk out, this chapter out, and I've expanded upon it. And it's been really awesome because I've expanded the shit out of it. <laughs> and I've got a whole cast of characters that I've actually, um, you know, I've been using just NPC stat blocks for them um in the past but now i've got them fleshed out as characters and whatnot so i'm really excited about that and since this is in person for the first time i've done some uh, little creative work so i've made these <gasps> for oh, each man. of the players so inside is a field notes player journal which i sell on my site and a nice. bunch of my stickers and it's called uh, an offer you can't refuse <laughs> and I also felt so creative today that I made five of these. Wow, fireball! <gasps> yeah, so it's like, you know, somebody launches a fireball and, and it explodes. And, you know, where does all the rest of that fire go? It sets the building on fire. So um, these turned out really well. Um, yeah, for those listening, Brian has made a <laughs> handheld fireball that glows. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. I made like five of those. That was not my idea. I saw it on somebody else's feed. I don't remember whose, but I will find it and give them credit when I post that on my feed. So but in the it meantime, was, you'll take all the credit. In right the meantime, now. I'll take all the credit, <laughs> at least for how they turned out. Uh, I used my airbrush today. It was like a, it was an arts and crafts day, basically. I didn't feel hey. like doing any real work, so I did some fun stuff today. So anyway, I'm really looking forward to uh, running this one shot uh, in person on Saturday and I hope to do more of that here in Chicago. So, uh, that's awesome. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Chicago. You gotta be careful though. Cause if there's uh imbibing involved, that fireball might actually become airborne. So just, uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it, it weighs pretty much, it weighs pretty much nothing. So, um, yeah. Uh, anyway, on that note, uh, Sharon, why don't you, uh, <laughs> hey, Fatal Excrement, I, lo I love that name. Uh, thank you for joining us. Wear stickers. You want some stickers? DM me your uh, your shipping info, and I'll send you some stickers hey, um, as a thank you for joining us. Um, yeah, so Sharon, what's uh, what's our topic tonight? Well, tonight, everyone, I will be interviewing these two lovely DMs right here. I'm, I think I'm pointing in the right direction. <laughs> and we are going to talk about all things DMing. And uh, if you have any questions, chat, feel free to shout those out because we are going to pick these guys' brains and hopefully learn a thing or two. So yeah, and, and find out how much we don't know. Yeah. It's going to be a lot of quiet moments. So come on, Jack. Can you can you repeat the question, please? Um, can you can you repeat the question? I do uh, not recall. Play elevator music. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everyone. Cool. So to kick off tonight's uh, episode of Lawfully Chaotic, uh, we are going to start at the very very beginning. From the your days of youth, think of the very first time <laughs> you DM'd. What did it feel like? We need what the were your music. feelings? Were you nervous to perform in front of your friends or uh, accomplices or family or just strangers? What did you do to prepare for this session? And were there anybody in your lives that kind of helped, helped you guide into being a DM? And I will start with Brian. 
Uh, can you repeat the question, please? <laughs> there, no, there, I, 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 I don't have any recollection of that night. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's just a blank slate. <laughs> yeah, he, he takes the fifth. It's like, it's just um, like the sound of like whooshing air. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> so it's funny because way back when I was a, a youngling, um, I actually did not do any dming in the early days i was always a player yeah we had one of our one of our crew uh he might be on here in a bit gary Ugrun. uh we kind of forced we all wanted to play so we kind of just forced him (laughs) to dm us and everything um so it wasn't until maybe three or 3.5 or something that I started to get it. There, there you are, Gary. Right. So uh, poor Gary <laughs> um, used to always uh, used to always be the DM, but uh, excited to be starting as a player in his campaign in a couple of weeks. So. Um, so, yeah, it's I I would say. um yeah, we didn't progress much. We changed our minds a lot. I mean, we were kids, you know. We got tired of characters, <laughs> and and the, it was a different game back then, as we've mm-hmm. talked about many times. Um, so I really delved into DMing um, much later, um, and then really got into it um, just about. I don't know, maybe, well, about the time Critical Role was out and whatnot. Um, Mm -hmm. But I've been writing, um, actually, you know what? That's not true. I told you this was going to (laughs) be, this is going to show how much I don't know. That's not true. I did, I did run a campaign when we were kids. I remember that. It was this big, huge, undead, like grandiose epic um, that was based on uh, uh, a Lich King and undead armies and stuff like that because I was really into that stuff. So I do remember that. Um, but I would say just over the past like eight years or so um, is where I've really, really developed my DM skills um, uh, and and just, you know, dove into it. And now I DM more than I play. Um, so yeah, it, it's, it's interesting because my early years were mostly as a player, not a DM. Interesting. Yeah. Jason, what were your eon years? <clears throat> um, as a first time DM. Unmitigated pizza, jolt cola, and <laughs> yeah, it was, you know, if it rained, we went out and played mud football and then, you know, in the evening we gamed all night. Um, I think uh, yeah, there, yeah, there were there was. I had one young year, one young year. <laughs> you just came funny. out with the beer. Yeah, well, it's funny that he says that because I think that's what roped me into playing all the games or you know mm-hmm. running all the games. Um, we had one game master who ran all of our Gangbusters games uh, because it was his favorite title, so he loved playing that one. Um, but I was the one when I was, you know, when we first started playing at age nine, you know, um, we sat down at the dinner table on a Friday and we played until Monday morning and got ready for school. Um, it was my storytelling, you know, everybody loved the way that I, you know, I was only like nine, 10 years old, but you know, by the time I was seven, I read the Hobbit. So, you know, they're like, Oh, great. Here comes the English lit major at age nine. So, you know, and it, 
and it, you know it, it allowed for young people to banter and have fun with the fact they could actually understand what was going on and uh we really enjoyed the game i would say for the first two years all we played was um the keep on the borderlands i mean we played that forever it was just one of our favorite games because it was so wide open you can just do it forever i and and that pretty much set me on the path for the forever gm where it was just oh jason's jason's available let's go play at, at, at his house you know and um yeah i never looked back absolutely loved it i had um you know uh they tried the rotation one time but it became so difficult to get people to show up unless they knew i was gming so it was like once you accept the angst, then just live with the angst. Yeah. And, 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 and <laughs> pat yourself on the back, you know, and, and move forward. So, because if I realized if I didn't do it, then we weren't going to play. So, and I love playing too much. I love playing. So, uh, if you recall your very first sessions, uh, mm. did you guys ever have, did you ever put in railroads? And is that a recommended thing to do for first time DMs? Absolutely. It's all I did for the first two years. I experimented with the idea of the game and my sessions were purely railroading people into the content of what I was reading from a module. Mm -hmm. I was just really good at making it sound like it wasn't a railroad, but I was definitely railroading. Absolutely. And I feel like it's okay to do that because you got to like any other skill set, you got to practice those muscles first mm-hmm. and you got to fail as fast as you can and, and practice, 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 and then experiment with the open world stuff and have fun with it. Um, and that's how you build your confidence. And so, yeah, the first two years, absolutely. I mean, I was the choo-choo. Absolutely. <laughs> the choo-choo. <laughs> I was. Yeah. I think since I, since I didn't, since I played for so many years before DMing, I didn't really have a lot of trepidation when I started DMing. For me, it was just kind of natural. I got to be the storyteller. Um, And like Jason said, I, I tend to also write, you know, very linear Mm -hmm. storylines. So I do, I kind of railroad also. um, But likewise, I, I I always am very careful about making it not seem like they're being railroaded. And one thing I love doing is little side arcs. You know, if the characters insist on, you know, let's go to a, a tavern and see if there's any, you know, we got four days till we need to do, you know, uh, phase B of our mission. Let's go to a tavern and see if anybody needs any any help. And if that leads to a two or three session side arc that, you know, that then kind of comes back, um, so be it. I don't mind doing that, but it, but I always pull them back into the, the main uh, story. So I, I, I do that. I have done that and I still do it, but it's got to feel, um, uh, it, it can't, it can't be apparent to your players right then they kind of lose the impetus to really role play and make decisions yeah that's interesting because i never really thought of like the side arcs because that gives the the gm or dm the opportunity to really like flex their creative muscle for like storytelling and story building so that could be just like little small bite-sized pieces to actually help try to create uh your own very own campaign from the ground up that's that's really yeah, cool. yeah. Like Vince said, it really does need to to feel organic, and you know, and I'll just finish up 
real quick by saying I've, I've mentioned this before, but in one of my campaigns, I had this side arc that ended up. Um, uh, it was in uh, um, the uh, Horde of the Dragon Queen. So it had nothing to do with the story. They just kind of needed a break. I needed a break, um, you know, from uh, from the storyline. And we did this side arc that I fully pulled and now have the, the one shot that I'm running this weekend is based on that. And that is now a major um, plot element in my homebrew. And it just, oh, it was cool. completely out of the blue and improv and they loved it so much. I'm like, I'm taking this and making a campaign out of it. So. Wow. Just by chance. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, totally. Totally. None of it was planned. Oh, the dirty look I just got from my daughter. <laughs> <laughs> she came to fetch her phone because she finished her homework and she just looked at me like I had just... <laughs> Oh, I hate being the bad guy, but I'm so tired of it. I think she's probably more mad at her brother because her mother, her brother, kind of destroyed everything by, you know, not doing his homework on time. I don't railroad <laughs> anymore, though. I don't use railroads at all anymore. But that took time. Right. Um, that took a a lot of practice. Um, well, yeah, that's to my that's my point. Torch is uh, is. I will not railroad someone to the point where where I will not allow them to make their own decisions. Right, right. I, I never take if agency it, or consent away. Yeah, if That's it totally sure. goes off the rails, so be it. I'll deal yeah. with it. Um, so, but, yeah. But to Sharon's original question, starting off, that was hard. Yeah. Like, oh, of in course. the beginning, that was really, really, Absolutely. really hard. I mean, it got to the point where I would memorize a module Mm -hmm. And then I would write little antidotes within the works. Uh, you know, I, I put little pages in there, little folded up um, graph paper with little antidotes on it, you know, giving me options just in case, yeah. you know, because, you know, the modules were pretty descriptive. And I'm mm -hmm. like, well, if I describe something really well, what's to prevent them from going and checking it out? Right. Even though the module just kind of gave it some descriptive <laughs> flavor. You're in you a know. room with three doors. Doors one and three are really boring. Door two. Yeah, yeah. Now, yeah, door two is right? really interesting. It's true. And, and learning and starting off by learning, it's hard. It's not easy. You know, you've got all the personal emotions to get over. You've got all the challenges of organization. And right. we could go down lots of rabbit holes around that. But as far as the questions concerned, I used to use it. It was hard, but it taught me a lot of tricks and trades so that I could easily transition into open world as quickly as possible. So for situations like that, uh, how do you balance a game? Like, have there ever been instances where you've underprepared or overprepared for a game? Like, how do you balance that out? Especially when you have players that maybe go outside of the bounds of the module that you just just started, and it's taking even a more wider turn outside of your uh, comfort zone. I'll let Brian start with that one. <laughs> uh, there are there have been many times where I where I have over prepared. Um, you know, it's like when Matt Mercer brings out his his. Uh, his weekend long miniature map and they're and they completely skirt it and he's like fuck you guys <laughs> but um again if i've over prepared and the character you know and the players do something else i just put that aside and i'll figure out how to bring it back if i've and there have been plenty of times where i've under prepared and i've i've found that when i under prepare 
I really then let the player's decisions drive what happens. Really? Um, yeah. And, and that's where I start um, opening it up some more and letting them really dictate what's going on. And again, that could either keep them on track naturally or lead to some other fun. Um, you know, I mean, an example is I, I don't know how long most people run a published module. Okay. Like Horde of the Dragon Queen is levels essentially one through what? 12, 11, something like that. Yeah. Something like that. So how, how Jason, how long would you run that module? Well, it's a series though, right? Well, the Curse of Strahd is a short month. Well, it's Horde of the Dragon Queen and then Rise of Tiamat. Right, right. Okay, so, and that's one through 20, but just Horde of the Dragon Queen. Once again, I mean, in my youth, I probably would have ran it in a single weekend. The whole book, 12 levels? Well, yeah, because we would have started Friday night and not finished okay. until Monday morning, right? Oh, so, so nowadays, off the top of your head, how long would it take you to run a 12-level module? Um, nowadays, knowing what I know, it could take mm -hmm. six months. Okay. I, I stretch that out to about 18 months, maybe 18 okay. to 20 months. Okay. Interesting. Because there was a lot of these side arcs and a lot of nights where it was just, all right, the players clearly want to do this, so let's go with it. Okay. We never deviated from the story so much that we didn't get back on track and continue it. But that's an example of... You know, you can, in my opinion, you can fit in open world into even a published module oh, yeah. without destroying it. And, you know, the secret, I think that there's the most important thing for being a DM is, is improv and acting. And I don't say that meaning doing character voices and, and all this. I mean, going with the flow and making decisions on the fly that seem like you had things planned, okay? If the players, no matter what you do, if you make it look like you had everything planned, then, you know, <laughs> that that keeps the the consistency uh, in the game, and, and that is what players will respond to, in my opinion. You know, if you're kind of fumbling around and, and this and that, that's where the theater of the mind starts to break down and, you know, meta, you know, the meta gaming enters and whatnot. So if you can make it seem like, oh, yeah, I had this all planned, then I think that's I think that's From the secret to being a good DM. To the preparedness, like the over the idea of the over preparedness or the under prepared, mm -hmm. no matter what happens as you learn and as you mature you will always be underprepared. That's never going to change. To Brian's point, learning skills like improvisation and adaption are the two skills that keep... <laughs> See, and, and as a kid back then, I never... That never occurred to me, yeah. Gary. Wow. I mean, you... That's why we always... Well... Mostly because we could force you to do it, <laughs> but that was not the only but, reason. We 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 had UDM because we never felt like you know it was like uh you know fumbling around. So, so I always felt underprepared, and the only way I knew how to solve that is to take copious notes mm -hmm. and have a lot of optional notes ready to go just in case. Now, I was practicing the art of being overprepared, but in the recognition of what I was doing. 
that was in itself using improv skills and adaptation skills based on my underpreparedness and eventually beginning to realize I was becoming overprepared. Neither of which is really a negative because if there have been a couple sessions in my recent time professionally hosting um, where I got some sessions kind of convoluted and thought I had prepared for one and I inadvertently prepared for two other ones for some future meeting. <laughs> I looked at my notes and I went, oh shit, all my asterisks are gone. All of my poof. Huh. <laughs> shit. Um, okay, here we go. Let's do the recap and let's That's get That's never happened to me. Only an idiot would do something like that. Like, oh, let's have a show this week about this. And then and then we'd have a show about something else. Brian in French is an idiot. <laughs> um, anyways. Well, that was, interesting a dig, that was a dig on me from last week. By the way. <laughs> it's so cool to see, like, the different variations between you two. So, like, every DM is different. And I mm -hmm. think you just have to... I guess know yourself and know your mind and how it works around these uh, storytelling situations. So three mile down plays in one of my pro tables, uh, stalking the captain below deck and finding their lost air bullywog lover. Um, yeah. Like a lot of players stumble on an arc. So early I'm like, Oh fuck. Um, <laughs> Shit, I didn't think anyone would do that because the captain's supposed to be super scary. And then recently they stumbled on part of, a, of another arc because they're deep into the Shattered Teeth right now. And I'm like, okay, I'm doing okay then. That means they feel that the world's open enough for them to experiment in. You know what I mean? So it's like, it yeah. was pretty cool. It's a cool feeling. It's a cool feeling. I, I got that feeling when the Grain Lands group, they're... The Grain Lands group this Sunday is in for a real rough session. It's going to be a hard session because dun, they're going to have to tread in areas that could be a little challenging to their confidence. And I think it's going to be interesting to see how they, as players, address it through their characters. It's going to be a lot of fun. A lot of cool. fun. Cool. I, I love that thing. <laughs> that was a very trepidatious. That was cool. very. I've even been working on the artwork for the twins. So. Sharon, it sounds like you better start making a second character. Oh, goody. <laughs> Gork is like, we'll be fine. <laughs> Just bash a few heads. It's okay. <laughs> That's how we get through a conversation. All right. So that was actually a pretty good first ses uh, session. <laughs> Section. I see what you uh, did there. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, after... After doing your very first session, what is it exactly that makes it, like, is it easier to play with a table full of friends, or is it better to do it with complete strangers? Oh, that's uh You want to take this one first? Yeah, because that's a real tough one, because I have to be reflective about it. Mm -hmm. At first, friends and family made it easier for me. At first. Because the expectations weren't nearly as extreme as they are now. Um, the expectations back there were just to kind of um, better game or more fun. I don't see a difference between the two. It's only fun because it's a good game. Plain well, and simple. If you go to a game and it feels like, right. like work, 
then you need to find another game. No, not no that it feels like work, but I think what Gary means is probably like, you know, the, the laughing and joking around about all the inside jokes for a group of longtime friends that don't really have anything to do with the game. Part of the, just the experience of playing together outside well, I, I get, of... Yeah, I get your feedback. And yeah. what I would say then is I actually fell out of love playing with friends and family because they couldn't leave their personal shit off the table. Hmm. Like they couldn't keep oh. personal baggage out of the idea that every subtext was a dig on their personal life somehow because we all knew each other, right? So those digs became a problem, right? And what I've discovered over my 41 years of playing, the second half of playing with strangers was far more fun and a better game with that feedback. A much better game and a lot more fun when I play with strangers. That's how I, that. I, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take the easy route and say that I, I enjoy both. I really do. Um, I think with friends, it's easier. Uh, like Gary said, I think it's easier to, um, you know, experiment a little bit. Um, you know, because friends are more, well, can be more forgiving. <laughs> I guess it depends on your friends. <laughs> they can be pretty ruthless too. They can, but it's all <laughs> usually all in good fun. Yeah. Um, and, and it is just, uh, you know, it is a different feel. I have found that I also really, really enjoy playing with strangers because I think it, it, it makes you kind of step it up a level. Um, and it makes you uh, look at the game from a little bit different perspective. You have to be more, you know how to engage with your friends and whatnot. And with strangers, you kind of have to figure that out. You have to figure out as a DM how to get them to engage in game mm. uh, and whatnot. Now, I mean, I've had groups of strangers that just did not, you know, gel and did not oh, work. Yeah. And that's fucking disastrous. But I've also had groups, I mean, like my Wednesday group, we've been playing together for two and a half years. So um, I really, I really enjoy the different feel of, of both. Uh, to Ugrin's original point and to your expansion of the feedback, Bri, it is wonderful to watch a table of strangers become friends. Totally. That is pretty, that's a pretty totally. amazing feeling. And yeah. I think that might be more of the addicted feeling I have now. I know as a probably being a little glib about the friend, family, stranger, mm -hmm. stranger thing, because obviously Callista and everybody in our Monday night game are friends and family, right? Obviously. Um, Comparatively to being a new DM versus a seasoned DM, being a new DM to Barry's point, it's a lot easier to, to deal with it with friends and family. You know, mm -hmm. it becomes easier um, because you do automatically know everyone and it allows you to build up confidence over time. Once you become seasoned and you feel your confidence is ready to go, I feel like switching to stranger only tables can be very rewarding to the skill sets that you're maturing over time mm -hmm. because I now feel like I have 50 new friends. Yeah. So 50 people I didn't know before, but I now have 50 summer acquaintances and summer friends, you know, mm -hmm. and that's, that's a very unique thing about D and D. Yeah. It could, it could turn a group of people into hard and fast friends or it could become toxic if you're not careful, but that, but that that's the uniqueness of the game. I think. That occurred to me just the other day. It's funny you bring that up because I just, I don't know what I was thinking about or whatever, but I realized like, wow, I know like 30 new people, new friends who I've never met in person, but who I talk to and see 
every week. You know, it's just it's kind of amazing. And uh, there's one other thing I was going to say about strangers. Oh yeah, seeing I totally agree with you about seeing a table of strangers turn into friends. Oh, it's I so think addictive. that's it's I think so, that is really it's fantastic. Like, it's like when I watch like playing with Barry Botton and and Fatal and the rest of them on Sundays. They were Saturdays. a or Saturdays. Sorry, I get all my days end in Y. That's why they're all confusing. <laughs> um, watching them turn from a chaotic group of strangers, kind of just doing their own thing for the first few months. Um, yeah, yeah, you know, as a chaotic group of strangers, kind of doing their own thing and finding their feet, and then suddenly watching them just turn into these. Um, amazing, like watching their group gel um, right now, <laughs> right now, just watching somebody like, <laughs> like watching uh, Abraxas become the mother hen. You know what I mean? <laughs> he was, he became the mother hen for a while. It was fun watching the role play of that come out. And I think, you know, it's very affirming. I'm just um, seeing him with feathers. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they'll be metallic golden silver platinum feathers with his panache for the for for fashionista that he is. So, so in other words, you guys like to play matchmaker. Is that what is that one? A I'm little hearing? bit. It is kind of fun watching it happen. It's actually really fun watching two of your uh, two of your players who are just casual friends in real life kind of become you know uh intimate characters in the game that's kind of fun to watch happen because you get to watch their maturity play out um i am very jaded in the fact that i don't have a lot of young tables right all my tables range between the ages of 18 and probably 30 you know in that in that average range i know i've got variances there um, wait 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 What's your definition of a young table? Like kids? Yeah, kids. To me, oh, kids okay. would be young. Like, you know, between 12 and 15 feels like okay. a very challenging opportunity. Um, it's not one that I feel confident about. I, I The last time I did it, I did it really well. It was fun. And I surprised myself. I did it for a birthday party um, where a group came in, a, a family you know, came <laughs> I in. I know. I was thing. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so it was, it was. I need to practice that more, and I recognize that. I need to practice a younger table more. I've, I've run a number of games for kids, um, both strangers and for my son and some of his uh, school buddies. And uh, it is it is very challenging, mostly just you know from the standpoint of herding cats, um, especially remotely. Mm -hmm. But uh, it is surprisingly rewarding because, as we all know, kids of that age do not think like we do and talk about side arcs and 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 going off the rails but in a good way like holy shit you want to do what i would have never thought about that and i have no fucking preparation for that at all yeah um so it's really it's really it could be really fun um uh playing kids they're sharper than you think that's awesome. Yeah. So <clears throat> for um, DMing your first game, is it best to do it with peers, whether it's stranger or friends Ooh, or family? That's a good question. That is a good question. It's a um, really good question. Because I didn't have any because no one was 
playing the game yet, right? I mean, no one was playing it at any kind of measurable level. In um, I mean, I was nine in uh, 1980. So, you know, most of the group that was playing it were playing it from the core 70s rules. And, you know, they were very much a club-driven group still at that point. I got to learn how to play it in its transition in the mainstream, right? Which felt very strange. Um, I would say, I would say playing with your peers could be very informative, but could be very intimidating as well. So, yeah, see, I disagree actually. And, and the reason why I say intimidating is because if you're, if your confidence <laughs> level on. isn't quite matured yet, <laughs> it could be intimidating. But I also see that playing with your peers could be the most productive and re rewarding way to play because their feedback could elevate your confidence so quickly that you find yourself absorbing their knowledge and their information in a much more efficient manner, I think. Right. I, I'm going to say uh, I would recommend starting at least the first couple of times with peers or friends because I don't see that as intimidating. I see that as getting rid of the aspect of you know, the fear of how are these people who I don't know going to react to me? Are they going to accept me? You know, kind of the public speaking fear. Um, yeah. All of that should theoretically go away, okay? Because you're already comfortable with them. So I think it's the perfect place to uh, develop those skills and, and as you said, Jason, get some, uh, some feedback, um, but not feel but not feel afraid to fail. Okay. Mm -hmm. Obviously your friends, you know, they're going to, they're going to razz you of course, but it's not going to be like, Oh, this guy's, you know, they're not going to go on Yelp and, and say, this guy sucks as a paid DM or a DM <laughs> and, you know, fuck right, him, whatever. Right. So I, I actually think that that is probably the best way to start um, is with, is with friends or a group of people that you are comfortable interacting with. Okay, so that way it's easier to get some feedback between the players and the DM. That's that's yeah. really good. Well, basically, you can focus on the game and not have to focus on, you know, the the meeting people aspect. Right. Yeah, I think you made a good point about the DM having. <laughs> <laughs> well, not you, yeah, assholes. If you guys could see our daily Slack chats, you'd be mortified. It's like, these people are friends. Next month, I'm going to DM for some strangers for a non-TTRPG Discord server who are newbies. I'm not sure how I feel yet. Guys, do you have any tips for Torch? Tips Just put on, your, put on your confidence face and project that. Again, if you look like you know what you're doing, and I'm not saying that you can't make mistakes, but, you know, if you look like that you are in control, um, probably that's not the best phrase, but if you look like you're in control, I think people will be engaged with your storytelling, and I think it should work fine. Is there, like, a certain hook that you think of that kind of gets you in that zone of... Uh, of having that illusion of confidence? Like, do you have- I, some... I, I have one that I just love to use and it, it excites me every time I use it. I go around the table and start with each individual and I say, and, and I ask them 
tell me about your D&D journey so far. And that excites them to know that I care about that, which means I'm already establishing the vibe at the table. So I could have no skill. I could be underprepared. I could have just a single sentence written that says the rats are going to try to kill them in the hallway. And I could turn that into a three hour session if I had to. But if, but if you can get the vibe of the table instantly, get them talking and feeling comfortable with you instantly and make that, make that instance feel very important to each of, of them as individuals, you'll hear that collective sigh at the table. You'll just hear it. Yeah, well, that, that would explain my, my, my inability to do, to do common math. My yeah, math teachers I, faked it for a long time. <laughs> Torch, since they're new, I'm probably going to run the equivalent of a video game tutorial level just yeah. to get them familiar with that's the That's genius. Oh, that's that's how I would, yeah. that's how I would yeah. describe it. Yep. Yeah, exactly I would correct. say, yeah, pick something that you yeah. are familiar with and comfortable yeah. with. Like one thing I always go to is back to um, Fellowship of the Ring. I, what I loved about that in this whole epic journey is how small it started. You know, it's always like, you know, it starts so small and the, and the, the most inane thing seems, seems so big to the main characters, you know, compared to what they end up doing. So start with something small and intimate, something that you're familiar with, something that you feel connected to and, and kind of everybody immerse everybody there. I like that asking, uh, Jason, um, what your, player's D&D journey has been so far, I generally start out by asking them to describe their characters, which is a common thing, but that too kind of just, it's like a good icebreaker. Start with a bar fight, well, naturally. <laughs> start with chaos. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, and, and I like, and I, and I think you do have to keep in mind, and it's, it's, it's safe to keep this in mind, because it's a reality of of the groups that you'll run into, whether they be newer or, or veterans or somewhere in between social media and uh, video watching is a common process these days. Oh, three miles. I, I, I still, to me, when you say D and D if to put that on the screen, yeah. it's still Lord of the Rings. Yeah. hundred yeah, percent. Um, and I think just be aware, just be cognizant of the fact that people are going to be influenced by a very deep amount of viewable stuff that's going to impact their own individual perspective of how they think their first game is going to be either with you or as a, you know, first game they've ever played depending on the situation. But there is a, um, there is a very special notion to the idea of how they're going to automatically feel with you because you're willing to take on the risk and the adventure of being the DM or GM and I think that that will matter to the table. So you always have that little bit of a safety blanket that says mm -hmm. they've already given me that level of trust. The benefit now I just of the need doubt. to earn the rest of it yeah. through this first adventure. And it'll come. It'll come. I think Matt and Gary pointed out something that, that is important, too, is everybody likes to roll dice, okay, in this game. Um, so listening to the characters, to what they want to do, and, and not... Um, and Matt said this, not, not being so glued to the rules, but let them explore a little. It's like, okay, I want to climb up this wall and shoot my bow and whatever, yada, 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 you know, and figure out what role works. 
and let them roll dice. Even if they're walking down the street and, you know, trying to find a, a, uh, you know, a, uh, a food vendor, you know, like, what kind of food are you looking for? Make a, make a perception check, you know, to see if you, if you smell pizza or something like that. I mean, little things like that can help ease, ease the, the mood at the table. Yeah. So in other words, for your first campaign, just give it a kiss, you know, keep it mm -hmm. simple, silly. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> just remember the kiss, you guys. Yep. <laughs> I <really> smell pizza. <laughs> so uh, now we're going to be, uh, you know, making our segue towards actually building a campaign, which is perfect. Uh, so what style of campaigns would you recommend for a first-time DM, and what should they do to prepare? Like, I, what would they need access to for how long and where the game will run? Um, asking the what is. I mean, this is where I almost always pop in. If it's your first time running it and your first time building something and you really want to give yourself the ability to experiment... Sometimes I'll recommend a one shot if you know the table mm -hmm. enough in advance. Um, if it's, if the table's an unknown factor and you're meeting for the first time, you probably want to fall back on the zero session mentality and let the table kind of help you define what your next steps are. If you're dealing with a table of veteran players and you're the first time DMing, that's a significant challenge. That, that that's a challenge. Good, that's a risk. <laughs> It's nerve-wracking. It's terrifying. I just want to curl up in a fetal ball and cry in my bathtub and never come out again. Um, those are normal, natural ways to feel. Um, read your content, do your maps, you know, write your notes, do all the things that you feel are cathartic to your to your creative process, and then go to the table and see how it turns out. It could be a total flop. It could be amazing. But I would say that can from a you know all three stylizations of attempts, you at least tried. Most people never try. And I right. think trying is the most important step to always hurdle over first. Once you've tried that first time, most of the fear I feel like will melt away. Yeah, I would add to that by saying, um, unless you're forcing players to go through something that they've been through before or really don't wanna go through, I think the zero session idea is fantastic. But as a first-time DM, I would do yourself a favor and pick a very linear, pre-published campaign or module. Uh, don't worry about, you know, homebrewing and making stuff up and and something like Strahd or uh, or Tomb of Annihilation or something like that. That's completely open sandbox. It's going to be difficult. So again, pick something very linear um, and on the simpler side and uh and start with that and yeah that that too something short um you can always extend rather than you know picking something that lasts 15 levels and having to to cut halfway through so i'm curious is it is it best to have an rp heavy campaign or should it be like like more rpg and then like <laughs> it is RPG. More RP, and then like you know, a lot of. <laughs> I had to catch myself. Sorry, guys. <laughs> Sharon, is this your first time DMing? Oh my gosh! <laughs> I'm so nervous. You're doing wonderfully. 
like I was thinking if if I were to ever DM, I think I would just hide behind the DM screen because I have a terrible poker face. <laughs> I can you see Barry. I can tavern. see Barry. I know. I can see Barry now. Are you really sure you want to do that? Because I've given you a lot of information that would indicate it's a really bad idea. <laughs> you sure you want to do that? Oh, I love fucking with my players that way. You sure you want to do that? Yeah, okay, nothing happens. My favorite is when they're RPing, and then one of them will stop and go, uh-oh, he just rolled a dice. Do they have a metric You're a metric DM, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess the... To your point, the the style of play for your first time, right? The, yes. As a newer DM, <laughs> God damn it, I still can't get that right. Jesus. <laughs> as a newer DM, that's always going to be a struggle for a while. I question forgot was, what the question was. Um, <laughs> is it better to have an uh, role play? Oh, a role play versus yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, I think at first a short mechanically driven game with the bare notes of some RPing originating from the DM to build confidence out to the table because mm -hmm. the table may not want to do voices. They may not want to RP. They not may not. That's where the beginning of your leadership kind of comes in, you know, show your vulnerability, show your empathy uh, for the first time and really, you know, get there, turn them into your muse to a certain degree. Um, and then build off those confidences that you create in that process. Um, but, you know, it's all about repetition sometimes, right? The more tables you play and the more unique encounters you have with people, the more you begin to judge and organize the idea of RP play, mechanic play, a blend of the two. Um, I've always described myself as an 80-20, right? 80% narrative, 20% encounter driven. And once you find that space, it becomes a little bit easier to express that to people, you know. So it's it, that's a tough question. That's a hard one. Um, yeah, <laughs> I would, uh, you know, I, I would. I also ask my players, what kind of game, are, you know, before we start. Yeah. Uh, what kind of game are you looking for? Do you like heavy RP? Do you like, you know, lots of combat? And and kind of let that lead a little bit. But uh, mm. Gary actually basically said what i was going to say is just interact with npcs yeah. i still think that the best way to role play and and drum up interest in a very simple way is go shopping <laughs> i've had episodes. some of i have had a three-hour <laughs> session of nothing but shopping and my players fucking loved it because i had i had very well thought out personas some of them totally off the top of my head some of them really? written down yeah of these shopkeepers and specific things that they were looking for you know for this mission and whatnot and it's a really easy way um to do some safe rp that's not necessarily going to blow up your your uh your track you know mm -hmm. um in in the story yeah and that's something familiar to do for everybody too so that's totally actually yeah yeah. And gelato for some reason. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. So it's best to ask your players what kind of game they're looking for. Yeah, and for I also think zero. and I also think to that point, it establishes the openness of the DM to show their 
show that immediate willingness to get feedback from the players. Um, a common narrative I hear, whether it's true or false, is always hard to tell, is that people describe previous games that the DM just wouldn't listen to them. Like it was always their prerogative, always their, you know, it's always their approach or there's no approach. It's always this, it's always them, it's them, 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 you know, the DM do it, you know, the DM makes the final decision. Um, and that's rough because, you know, that, that ends a lot of games for people. So I would say to Brian's point, yeah, get, be willing to listen to the table, you know, get that mm -hmm. first 20 minutes going and just, you know, if you've, if you've written a game and you've got this great dungeon crawl in mind and you just found out that everyone sitting in your table loves anime, don't panic. Make the dungeon crawl an anime theme. So that's where the adaptation hmm. and mm -hmm. the improvisation comes in. Suddenly, you know, instead of a, you know, a, a cavern full of bugbears, it's a cavern full of monks that all, you know, uh, speak manga style bad dubbing, you know, and have some fun with it. You want to fight? Uh, fight me now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. His level is over 5,000. <laughs> Somewhere down we the hallway. We have been to destroy you. Somewhere down the hallway, you hear, finish them. Finish them. Oh, my God. Mortal Kombat. Popcorn, right? Just you know? <laughs> and to the earlier Ugrin, Ugrin question about better versus fun, we just <sighs> described a way to make it fun. Yeah. And then it will inadvertently get better each time you kind of run into these situations, I think yeah. is a good way to kind of look at it. I, I think I'll add to that by saying, I think obviously, you know, the DM is part of the game too. Okay. Some people look mm -hmm. at a DM as you're just a tool so that we can play, which I think is ridiculous. And others, you know, the DM is is uh, is a player too. You are playing the game, okay? Yeah. So you need to have fun also. However, if your players are not enjoying themselves, then what is the point of you even running a game? It's just yeah. everything falls apart. And especially in a paid game, if somebody's paying you, it's not about you as a DM. It's Absolutely about the players. Not. No. Okay. You're providing a paid service. Yeah. You're not going to go to a restaurant and pay for dinner. And the waiter says, uh, I'm going to give you calves brains tonight. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, you know, you definitely need to, now it doesn't mean that you have to, you know, it doesn't mean that you have to take every suggestion or, or whatnot. Um, Maybe three DS. Well, and I and I think what Torchseer is saying here is that your initial yeah. assumption about peers is correct. You know, yeah, having a lot of peers around to be able to absorb what they do, and and absorb it in a way that they're not telling you what to do. Mm -hmm. That's the key to the success. Is that I never tell anyone what to do. Yeah, that's never going to breed success. What breeds success is a shared level of information, so that when people hear your information they're free to absorb any part of it that they think makes sense to what they're trying to do Thank and you, that George. and that gets and that gets back to railroading mm -hmm. somebody through the story without them feeling like they're being railroaded yeah okay the art of curation the art of curating the lie yes <laughs> fake it till you make it's it a, it's a real it's a real thing it's a real yeah. thing but you could curate it well. You could do it safely and responsibly, I think. Oh, that's a good one too, Gary. Yeah. If you're starting with a new group, if you have somebody that knows you and is an experienced player, 
that can oh. be immensely helpful for a DM. Um, like a co-pilot. Yeah, that can be a very there good... There are folks that use point. co-DMs. That's a good yeah. point, where yeah. two DMs actually run a table. Where, I've never seen that. Yeah, well, uh, so if you ever get a chance, um, they're on Twitch and they're on um, uh, YouTube. I've been watching them since they were on Caffeine TV. Uh, they're mm -hmm. called Dungeon Run. Um, and their new uh, season, um, uh, because Jeff Kanata cannot, Jeff Kanata is going can, through cannot. some significant challenges right now. And so the cannot, other groups Kanata? are running. Kanata cannot. Kanata cannot play. So they have co-DMs. So um, there's two DMs in that group. Um, and basically you have your main DM that I believe is the narrative DM. And then the other DM is balancing out the mechanics. Mm -hmm. So that the narrative oh. DM doesn't feel overwhelmed by the mechanics, and the mechanics don't overwhelm the storytelling. Yeah. Um, so that's become a practice. Yeah. It's been a but practice. He, but he, it's been around for a while. Yeah. But even as Gary suggests, even a player who you know who oh, yeah. you know, and it, it, that can also because you know as sometimes long as they respect it's respect meta as long as they respect the idea of meta. Yes. Yeah. 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 But just you know, starting off an RP exchange with them, it yeah. it'll it'll just it'll naturally shepherd everybody else into oh, now I know what to do, or you know the rules and the mechanics, and that's that's a very good tactic also. And since we were talking about creating your first world, right, mm -hmm. um, Barry, don't be afraid to even use a module. Like if you're using a module, don't be afraid to look up some side notes for um, puzzles. And if you find that they're going off, off in a direction you don't feel comfortable for them to go on, throw a puzzle in front of them that inadvertently steers them back. But they still get to have the side arc fun, the open choice fun, but it allows you to guide them continuously without it feeling like you're guiding them. So don't be afraid with a, with when a built world is in front of you. you go ahead and add your own doors and your own pathways and your own thoughts to it. So it kind of makes you feel a little bit more comfortable about the choices they might make. And, and, you know, not to confuse things, the DM can be in complete control, okay? As long as you are willing to take what the players are giving you and incorporate that. What Jason was describing are the DMs that don't do that and just say, oh, this is the way it's going to be. That's a shitty DM, all right? You can run things the way you want. You can be in control, as long as you take that information that the players are giving and incorporate that so that they feel that they are part of truly part of the game and not just, you know, going through the mechanics, no pun intended. <laughs> right. I, that's actually such a new thing for me to hear is about the co-DMing. And also uh, what brings to mind is uh, the very first time that Sam Regal DM'd that mm -hmm. uh, for the, what is it? What was that campaign called? Oh, uh, he was wearing a glitter suit. He was just a glittery man. <laughs> he was that tells us nothing. <laughs> I, I know. He that goes, could be that could be every third Thursday. I know. I know. Um Yeah, but um I remember I, that yeah. episode specifically because he was so nervous, but there was actually people at the table who knew how to play the game mm -hmm. that were walking him through it and, and it made it more he was actually more comfortable to play by the end of the at the mm -hmm. session. So and that's yeah. all it takes. That's all it can take is one session. And in order to do that one session, all you got to do is try. Just try. Yeah. And everybody's been in your shoes at that point, you know? Yep. So mm -hmm. Absolutely. You got to take the first plunge. And <laughs> uh, 
But for me, I can't wait till Barry Bot lets me play in one of her games. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna. Yeah, I mean, uh, first. <laughs> I, I actually have some jitters about Saturday. Here's a group. I have my story is rock solid. Okay, mm -hmm. I've got all. I've got. I've got a carload of shit. I'm trucking over there. <laughs> um, but you know, there's still some anxiety because it's totally new people. Are they going to like my style and yada yada yada? Which is I am, which is why I'm bringing over lots of props and toys to distract them. So <laughs> Ooh, look at this! Notice <laughs> when I fuck up. <laughs> See, and, and this is why. <laughs> look at the silly monkey! Exact, look at the silly is, monkey! This is why I love doing what I do. Hmm. Yeah, that's so affirming and so thank you, Torch. I really appreciate that, and I'm sure the other players would appreciate it because. You know, it's it's not it's not easy providing safe spaces for people these days. My <laughs> big strippers. You see, Gary, it's, a, it's a D and D bachelor party. I don't think it's that type of crowd. <laughs> but I mean, it's like it's so it's so challenging to create safe spaces for folks to mm -hmm. come together as strangers, right? It's back to the friends and family versus strangers thing. You know, it's it's it, it's not always easy. It's challenging, but it's not always easy. Orc that no, orcs or bugbears and thongs don't work for me. <laughs> I don't, you know, I respect all pronouns, but orc pronouns and bugbear pronouns <laughs> and thongs feel very uniquely disturbing to me. You know, I will say one other thing. The reality Sarah's is like, God damn it, get yeah. back on course. I, I think I am DMing in a strange way. Let's put it back on the rails, guys. Yeah, dark. <laughs> no um, more orc strippers. <laughs> <laughs> nice, well, thanks, when, I, when Barry says it, it sounds really dirty. So yeah, we should probably <laughs> keep going. All right. Just keep going. Uh, I will also say, you know, <laughs> it's a game. Okay. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, it's a game. If you have somebody that is judging you that hard, you probably don't want to be at the table with them anyway, either as yeah. a DM or a player. Yeah, I, I have yet to experience a table that was like, oh, your DMing is so bad, you need to change it. Because if they did, I'd say, fuck off <laughs> and find another group. There's the door. Kick rocks. <laughs> Kick rocks. So you got to remember that, too. Um is that everybody wants to be there. Everybody wants to play the game. And, uh, you know, to Jason's point, they've already given you the benefit of the doubt because you're running a game for them. So you, you, you have to, you know, you have to take that uh, into consideration um, to, to start your confidence uh, off. Yeah, I'd agree. Wow, we actually got to the end of the list, guys. That's the end? Yeah, well, oh. I I do have some uh, DM D and D modules that I saw that were pretty good for DM for first time DMs. Yeah, I have go for uh, it. yeah, I have Waterdeep uh, Dragon Heist. It's yep. uh, more of an RP and investigation focused campaign. Yep, it's a good uh, one. There's the Ghosts of I don't know Salt how to Marsh. say words Shawmarsh. Um, it's exploration with sea travel. Yep. Oh, who would have thunk? And it's great for, <laughs> it's a great tool for sandbox adventures. Maybe that's a little bit too intense. No. What do you guys think? No, I don't think so. I mean, you got to start somewhere. Yeah, I guess so. And then, <laughs> and then I have Icewind Dale, Rhyme of the Frost Maiden. It's a linear campaign and it's easily manageable. Yep. And I have down here Curse of Strahd. Which is horror and hardship. All and around with Halloween easy. coming up, Bear. That'd be yeah. great. That'd be a fun that thing. Would, 
That yeah. would be fun. I think we and even it, talked about maybe doing a themed one shot. We did um, for Halloween. Or, yeah, I think we the Grain Lands group was talking about for Halloween. We were all going to dress up and uh, you our know characters. Oh, I thought we were talking characters. about that here too, weren't we? Doing a Halloween one shot. Oh, yeah, oh we're sure. still going to do yeah. it, yeah. Brian. No, okay. Don't cry. Okay. Don't cry. I don't want to DM because DMing sucks. <laughs> Hey, your direct message hangups. Gary, you're going to DM for us. <laughs> yeah, that, I don't know if you've got that one on your list, but Lost Minds offend yeah, over. That was I was just going to say yeah. that. Yeah, that's Beat probably like the, the go-to. Whereas back in the day, it was Keep on the Borderlands. This is yep. probably the go-to start off. Yep. Yeah, easy to yep. pick up and play. Yep. yep, agreed. So there you have it, folks. Do you have any closing comments or questions or concerns? That chat was chat, busy enough. Know. Why would you let them do I that? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm giving them the wheel. Any last words? How do you want to do this? <laughs> Any last words before I TPK you? <laughs> I will say, as a DM over the course of many years, <laughs> the one thing, like a lot of people wonder why I don't do the one thing that Matt likes to do, which is allow the player to describe their killing blow. I get to do that. That's my fun. You know, that's to me, that's the one kind of selfish thing I kept to myself. Players can do whatever else they want, however they want to narrate and RP and do their creativity. But I get to describe that killing blow because it just, it, it's the one opportunity I get to kind of participate and mm -hmm. kind of uh, kind of see if people are paying attention too. Because sometimes I'll do the description in such a way that they're paying attention. There's actually a hint in that descriptive at the same time. Oh, so like it's that. a fun way to kind of integrate my sense of fun in with the visualization of what's going on, you know, well, uh, and I, and that's a good point to, it's also a good point to create your own unique part of the game for you. Something in the game has to be a little bit about the DM um, and, and make that your I'm thing. I'm so happy to hear that so, torch. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, and, I, I mean, <laughs> we should just do a whole episode where that's all we say. Uh, I think we've had those. <laughs> um, don't forget what we what we coined, not non-player characters, but narrative player characters. That's true. I have so much fun doing. That's why I love shopping. Yeah. Uh, sessions because that's when I get to play. Yeah. Narrative player characters. Yeah are always fun for both sides. Yeah, yeah they get I to... love Puma. <laughs> oh my God, he's awesome. Well, I'm certainly <laughs> glad that you love him, little girl. Puma's <laughs> just kind of a creepy, slow-talking John he's, Wayne. I was just going to say, he's like D&D &D John Wayne. <laughs> he's a big, fuzzy John well, Wayne. Well, hell there, little fella. He's <laughs> looking very tiny and green. <laughs> the Puma's soul interaction with... Um, uh, uh, who was it? Not, not the brain. Yeah, yeah. It's still a classic for me. Oh my god! Yeah, I would say, and, with and the, that's with the, the flash. joy of this game when you really start playing it very regularly. Mm -hmm. I have a lot of snapshots of things that just were so fun to watch play out. But in the critical role space, I could name five things that always stick with me, like, like Jester's using the muffin to resolve the encounter. <sighs> Yeah, I think that was an amazing. That was way awesome. To show Charlie, Charlie Crabgrass, Henry <laughs> Crabgrass, now Henry Crabgrass. Oh, uh, Henry, 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 Henry Crabgrass. Crabgrass. Sorry, Henry Crabgrass. 
There are so please. many <laughs> unique ways that you can resolve an in-game encounter. Yeah. That just it's that creativity comes out and as a new or aspiring DM, focus on those little nuggets that yeah, pop out. Have around fun you. with it. They could be very yeah. inspiring. Have fun with it. Inspired. It's a game. It's a game. Yeah. That's why people play D&D. So are we rolling? Yeah. Uh, yes, rollies. All I right. Have my, I have my toxic Rick and Morty dice. I still have my normally, well, it's actually the luck has changed on my little mini metal. And it has changed back. <laughs> I got a five. <laughs> I got a four. Oh, wow. I have an eight. You go. Uh, those are you shitty rolls. On the, low, on, the low, on the low rolls. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Lawfully Chaotic, where we get to talk about all things DMing for your very first time and just, you know, have fun with it. Let loose in the wind, you know? So uh, thank you so much, chat, for joining us as well. You guys were awesome tonight. And as always, my name is Sharon, a.k.a. BarryBot. You could check me here on Instagram at BarryBot. Jason, where can we find you? TTRPG Academy over at uh, the Twitch. Check out our socials on our Twitch. You can find us in our Discord and all the social spaces that we exist. Hey, Bri, where can they find you, Bri? RPGandco.com, both on Linktree and Instagram for all the rest of the stuff. Some of the stuff is Play RPG and Co., like my website, but generally Instagram is the best place uh, to find me. Well, I just want to mention we will be taking a break next week um, to work on some programming and see about lining up some guests. So we will see you in two weeks. Yes. Oh, and one more thing to plug in. Be sure to check us, check me and uh, Jason. He's my DM for the Saturday campaign of the Graying Lands over on the Twitch, uh, the D&D Club Twitch channel, <laughs> 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. Pacific time. Don't miss it out. Miss it. Wow. Words out. tonight, guys. <laughs> <laughs> words. Anyway, thank you, everybody. Have yourself a good night and we'll see you in two weeks. Bye, everybody. Later. Later.